we are, we are entering into Genesis. We started it last week, and this week we're going to talk about God creating the heavens and the earth. And there was not a word for universe back then, so that's what he's talking about, when God created the universe. Now I want to ask you a question here to kind of get our minds wrapped around what's going on in this world today. If I were to ask you this morning, <clears throat> who would you consider to be the most dangerous man that ever lived? Think about that for a second. If you think about it, some might say, well, Adolf Hitler. Some might say Joseph Stalin, or maybe somebody would say Osama bin Laden. I want to submit to you this thought this morning, just for the sake of discussion. Could it be that the most wicked, dangerous man that ever lived is Charles Darwin? Ponder that thought for a second. Darwin has led more people, I believe, away from the truth than any single man in the history of the world. Think about what goes on in schools today. We're teaching evolution as a fact. It's not a fact. We're going to get into that in a few minutes here. But you know, it's, it's sad today, today that uh, you know, Darwin declared that God did not create the heaven and earth. He's saying that it came by a cosmos accident. You know, we, he would attest that you know, all of our great, 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 great ancestors were monkeys. Maybe yours was, but mine wasn't. God created all things. You know, even Charles Darwin was interviewed one time after his theory came out and was beginning to be practiced and advocated and endorsed all over the world. He said he had no intentions of murdering God. But really, in reality, in a lot of people's minds, that's exactly what he did. People had another reason they didn't need to believe in God. Hey, here it is. God didn't really create the earth and the heavens and the earth. We came by this whole long scientific experiment. Well, there's nothing scientific about Darwin's theory of evolution. I would attest this morning that the basic problems in America today all stem from the first verse of the first chapter of Genesis. In, God, in, be, in the beginning, God created. The fact is that we just don't believe that. We don't understand that. There's Christians walking out there that are confused about it as well. Many, many people, probably a majority of Americans today, are confused about how the earth was started and how we were created. Why? Because there's been this theory of Darwinism, of evolution. We just don't believe the fundamental truth of in the beginning, God. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will. We're going to look at the first eight verses of the chapter of Genesis. As you find your way to Genesis 1, verse 1, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be firmament upon the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament of the waters, which were from above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word, Father. I pray this morning, Father, you'd speak to each one of our hearts, Father, that we might see the truth, Father. We might understand, Father, the truth. And, Lord, that we would believe it. Father, we thank you now once again for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we chose this year as a theme, Revelation. And in looking at the word Revelation, it means to unveil or to uncover. It means to discover the truth, to see mysteries that we never saw before. 
I want to kind of look at this scripture today, and we're going to do a couple of word studies here. And word studies are powerful. And I want you to understand this concept this morning as we look at the word study here and the words that God used and chose to put into his holy word here. God gave us these words. He gave us these words that we might understand what he meant. What's understand what was written here. God has a very specific message for us in Genesis 1. Yours and my decision is, do I believe it? First of all, do I understand it? Do I understand what God is saying here? Do I really see that, what God's understanding here? The second part, though, has to do with, do I believe it? Do I really believe it? Or have I been so inundated with falsehoods that I have a hard time believing these things? Verse 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God... There's a, uh, the, outside, the third outside panel in your bulletin has some uh, space for notes there. It also has this little outline here if you want to use it to go along with here. But the very first word that I want to look at here is the word for God. What word did God use for himself here at the very beginning of, of Genesis? Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, it means. It means eternal creator. This is the most frequently used word for God in the Old Testament. It's used 2,500 times in the Old Testament. It's used 30 times alone in the first chapter of Genesis. Elohim here is plural. You say, well, why did God use a plural for his name? Well, I'm going to tell you that. I'm glad you asked this morning. Elohim is the only name for God in the whole Old Testament that is plural. But you know, from the very beginning, God was three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So God was telling us here that Elohim, all three of us here were here at the beginning. All three aspects of God, all three parts. I want you to look at this for just a second. How do we know that? Well, if you still have your Bible open, in fact, keep it open this morning, if you will, to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 2, the second part, says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What's that? The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was with God, hovering over the waters. John 1, 1, think about this. It says this, In the beginning was the Word. What was the Word? Jesus. It says the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Then in Genesis 1.26, I love this part, if you want to flip over that page. It says, Then God said, Let us, let us, not let me, said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. In the very beginning, Elohim was three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand here that God, in his infinite wisdom, was here before the beginning. God says in the beginning, he created all things, heaven and earth. That wasn't really the beginning for God. God's eternal. God was here with the Holy Spirit and the Son, His Son, for eternity. Before He said, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. God was here. You know, some people today are kind of asking the big theological question, well, where did God come from? Let me answer that very theologically as well. Anywhere He wanted to, He's God. God has always been. You know what's awesome about being a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ and understanding God's Word? Those that believe in evolution, those that do not believe in God, you know what? They've got to constantly try to figure out where it all came from. They can't figure it out. Nobody can prove where it came from except us. We know where it came from, from God. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. You know, Genesis 1-1, by this simple declaration, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Why is that so important? You ever thought about that? I can tell you why it's important. It's personal. It's personal to you and I. Why? Because we don't need to think that we got happened by, that we were created by accident. We don't need to think that we were created just by happenstance or by a big bang or whatever else. 
We don't need to begin thinking, hey, how did I evolve from a monkey? We realize that God made us fearfully and wonderfully, that God made us in His image, that God has a purpose for yours in life. God's Word brings life to you and I. We don't need to live in emptiness or without shape or form or without light in our lives. God brings light and life to our lives. Because of God in the beginning, you know what? Bad things can be made good. Sin can be forgiven. Chaos can be brought to order. There is hope for the hopeless and help for the helpless. We no longer need to live in the darkness. You know, the incredible thing about understanding that God created all things is that we realize that life has a purpose, that God created me. My life's not by accident. God knew before I was formed in my mother's womb and set me apart for a very specific purpose. Well, what is that purpose? That needs to be our life mission. God, what is your purpose for my life? God, you had a purpose in doing all these things, so you're the one that created it. Remember the story about Apollo 13? I think it was on TV just the other day. The story about Apollo 13, they got up there and they had an explosion. And things were pretty desperate. Things were not going well for those astronauts of Apollo 13. They didn't think they were going to make it back. They were very concerned. Even the scientists down here were trying to figure it out. Who did they have trying to figure out the answers to get those astronauts back to Earth? The scientists that created Apollo 13. The scientists that made that. Think about this for just a second. When you and I have problems, thank God that we have our Creator still available to us. The man that made us. The God that made us. We have access to that God. God invites us to come into His throne of grace with boldness. Many of you know I have two grandchildren. What a joy. And many of you have grandchildren. Well, I know you, want, you know what I'm talking about here, but you know my little son, my grandson, Billy, loves to pray. Sit down to dinner at a little Mexican restaurant. We're having chips. Let's pray. So we all pray. He prays. And then the lunch comes. Let's pray again. So it's just awesome to see this. But the little story about a little fellow that was praying one time. This wasn't my, my grandson, but another little boy like that, I'm sure. He prayed this prayer. He's sitting there with his mom and dad around his table, and he said, Dear God, Thank you for my mommy. Thank you for my daddy. Thank you for my kitty. My doggie, you, you that have young children or grandchildren know this. He was on and on listing all things. And he said, oh, one more thing. God, please take care of yourself. Because if something happens to you, we're in a big mess. Well, we understand that the word God is Elohim, the great creator. What did Elohim come to do when he came, when he started this thing? He came to create all things, heaven and earth. The next word I want to look at, and this is huge, guys, in understanding the whole arguments out there about God creating the world. The second word is bara, B-A-R-A, from the original language. It means to create something out of nothing. Ponder this thought for just a moment this morning. Have you ever, or do you know of anybody that's ever created something out of nothing? Here it is, I've just created out of nothing. It's never happened. It's impossible. Those that attest some other theory besides God creating all things attest that something happened here. It just got created by a big bang or two things smacking into each other. Well, wh wh who created those two things that smacked into each other? Who did that? The number one strongest argument against evolution is the fact that nobody can create something from nothing. Elohim is a sovereign creator. He existed prior to creation, and he spoke creation into existence. Psalms 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Over and over throughout the history of the Bible, 
the men of the Bible and the prophets and the apostles all gave God the glory and the credit for creating all things. Why? Because they realized it. Because God said, God stated as fact, in the beginning, God created. God didn't go to a great lengths to discuss the fact that I am God and this is why I'm God and this is why I should believe. He just said, period. In the beginning, God created. The Bible says in the beginning, God created something out of nothing. That's profound. Somebody wants to talk to you about evolution, wants to get into discussion, just ask them that question. Who created those amoebas you're talking about? Who, who created that scum in the pond you're talking about that joined together to form that initial amoeba? Who created those things? Who created the pond? Who created the dirt you're talking about here? Whatever it is. In the beginning, God created something out of nothing. If a person admits that the world is creator, then they have to admit that there, if, the, if, a, if the world admits that the world was created, they have to admit there's a creator. Understanding there's a creator, you know what we need to do? Realize how awesome that person had to be. They created all things. You know, when we begin realizing how awesome that creator is and all those things, we come to a point in our life when we realize I probably need to subject myself to that person or that God. I need to allow myself to come under his authority. I need to understand he's probably ruling over me. The majority of scientists today, and I want to give you a, a, a little vision of hope here, there's a lot of scientists coming to realize that what God said in the Bible is true. It lines up perfectly. In fact, I want to tell you this morning, everywhere it does not align with a, with a creation narrative by God and science is because, listen very carefully, science hadn't caught up yet. God said it. I believe it. It should be enough for you and I. God said it, if we understand these things. But we need to understand it from a perspective that we can defend it, that we understand it from a point that we can explain to other people. We can explain, we can explain why we believe these things. It's because God said it. But the majority of scientists today still do not accept the idea of a divine creation. Why? Because they're not willing to submit themselves to a divine creator. There's article after article about scientists coming to uh, be transparent with us. And many scientists would say, I was hostile to the creation theory. because, And I jumped at the doctrine of evolution because I did not want to accept that there's a God that would have authority over me. They didn't want to submit it's secular humanism. You know the whole idea about secular humanism that we don't need God because I'm God. This kind of all got a jump start back in 1933. A bunch of scientists and a bunch of professors and people around the, on the, on the country here gathered together for a big convention. And they decided in that convention, listen, we're going to sit down here, God, we're going to figure all this truth out. And so they began talking about all the things we can do now. In 1933, they could fly, they had cars, they had discovered the vaccine for polio, curing disease. So they kind of came to the resolve that, hey, listen, we don't really need God. We, we can do all these things ourselves. God's made us be independent. We don't need to worship some God we can't even see. So you know what they did? They wrote the Humanist Manifesto. And where did they just start distributing that? In college campuses. I talked a few minutes ago about how much damage Darwin's done. His theory was printed all over that. We don't really need God because, listen, this great man Charles Darwin figured it out that we evolved from different people. We evolved from different things, from monkeys and all kinds of things. It's sad, though, that they have put that thought, that theory, it's a very poor theory, into schools. So what are we doing? All these young people coming up, we're kind of changing them thinking, too. Even those that have grown up in the church, maybe they didn't get the full concept here, grow up in the church and come out of the schools realizing there doesn't need to be a God. What's the powerful attraction to evolution? That's it. That's it. 
If I believe in evolution, I don't really need to believe in God. That explains it. That was the only thing I was kind of trying to figure out. How do we all get here? Well, I just figured it out because Charles Darwin gave me this theory. Evolutionists would say their, their whole theory is based on scientific evidence. Well, if you've studied it, many of you have in school and gone a little bit further maybe, scientific research has four parts. The four parts for scientific research involve being observed. They, then they d develop a hypothesis. Then they test it, and then they repeat it. Observed, come up with a hypothesis, they test it, and then they repeat it. Well, the only thing that's happened with Darwin's theory is they came up with a hypothesis. Nobody observed this. They have all these thought, thoughts they have out there, all these little mini thinking that they have about it. It's never been observed. You can't test it because it wasn't observed. And it can't be repeated. Nobody can show. Think about this. How many years have you been on this earth? What are you evolving into next? We're not, right? I want you to hear this too. I'm here to tell you it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It really does. Because there's no scientific data that substantiates and connects the dots. The whole idea of evolution, follow this. There have been millions and millions, possibly billions of fossils found. And you'd think that somewhere along the line they'd find some fossil that substantiated and verified the fact that we came from a monkey. Okay, here's the monkey over here. Here's the man that's half monkey, half man, and here's man. They have not found one fossil that substantiates any of those things, any organism. It's not out there. They don't have it. You know what they'd say? they say, well, we just haven't looked long enough. I got news for them. They're, they can look the rest of eternity and they're not going to find it. Evolution is not a science. It's a bad theory. It's a religion that requires great faith and much stupidity. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Genesis 1-1 is stating that God personally created the universe and everything in it he did from nothing. He also did it in six literal days. You guys have heard this before, I'm sure. You know, there's no way that could happen. Well, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. God says in his holy word right here we're going to look at it, that he created this earth in six literal days. Look at Genesis 1-5 for a second. It says, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. The word we're going to look at here for day is yom, Y-O-M. It's a literal 24-hour day. But the way that God described it here, he says there was a morning and there was an evening and that's the first day. He's not saying there was a billion years and then a billion years and that was the first day. He's saying it was a little day. God's word says that he, he created this earth in six literal days. That's what the Bible says. We have a choice to believe it or not. I can't believe it. It's just too hard for me to figure out. Why? Do we don't believe God's big enough to do that? You know, because finite minds have a hard time wrapping their minds around an infinite God, they've come up with a couple different theories over the years. I want to tell about these very three, just three very quickly here. One of them is the day-age theory. What that is is that uh, he wasn't saying a literal day here. Well, he said it was a morning and an evening. They're saying each day could represent a billion years. Most of these long-world scientists would say that our Earth is somewhere in the vicinity of three to four billion years old. Really? Well, one of the theories is that the day was just figurative. He wasn't saying six literal days. Then there's the gap theory. Maybe you've heard of that before. These hypotheses would suggest that the gap theory is 
here that Genesis records the original account. Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's a huge gap after that. The whole rest of creation takes time over eons and eons and billions of years. The gap theory. And this one here, some of you thought they were very smart here, the Revelation theory, because these scientists understand that that's what God said in his word too. There was a morning and an evening, and there was a day. They say it's a Revelation period. This is kind of strange. They're attesting and giving credit to the fact these are 24-hour days. But they're saying these are 24-hour days in Moses' life. When God sat down and told Moses what to write, he took one day to describe each day here. So in six days, God told Moses what to write here. So they're saying that these, 24, uh, these six days here that we're talking about were, were attested to Moses. It doesn't mean that he did it in six little days. It just means that God revealed these things to Moses in six different days, one after another. Moses, write this down on the first day. Create the heavens and the earth in the firmament. You know, it's a foundation for people that are believing the Bible. I put an insert in your bulletin this morning here. It was written back in 2010 by a fellow by the name of Kurt Hubbard. Kurt was a nuclear physicist. I've always said I'd love to hang around with a nuclear physicist or rocket scientist. And sure enough, we had one here. But he went through the Bible on genealogies. You know how boring the genealogies are? But he went through the Bible there. It's this little printout you got there. Kind of interesting for you to look at here. But um, you can map the number of days from the very beginning through counting the ages of all these historical biblical figures. He's got them listed there. He's got the reference here in the Bible. You can see how it attaches. He, he, he recorded the ages from the time this person was born and how many years until they had their next, until they had their next heir. And so it's 130 years or whatever it might be. first one there says that um, um, you know, uh, Adam had Seth when he was 130 years old. So that's the first increment of 130 years old, 130 years. You can follow through that. If you have any questions, call me. Kurt Heiberg's still around, too. If you get, get a hold of him, he's got an email there if you like. But based on Kurt Heiberg's and the Holy Bible, I've seen this before with other people, but he did it himself, that uh, he ends in 2010. That's when he stepped. But if you look at the year 218 today, based on what the Bible says, our earth is 6,024 6, years old. 6,024 years old. You say, well, I thought it was billions of years. Well, I know you thought that because what are they teaching in schools? What are they teaching in colleges today? All these things we see here. The three words we talked about this morning, Elohim, Bara, B-A-R-A, and then the idea of Yom, the day, that we know that God created the earth, that we know that he made something out of nothing. We also know that uh, it happened in a 24-hour day. Well, so what? Remember, that's going to be part of our message every week. So what? What does this mean to me? If you were to look in the mirror this morning and examine the true value and worth of your life, think about that for a second. What am I really worth? What are the good things about me? And there's plenty of good things. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But stop for just a second. What would my life be without God? If I didn't have God in my life right now, what would my worth of life be worth? Most of us would say nothing. The only thing that gives my life worth is God. God has blessed me. God has given me these things. The reality of the situation, because in the beginning God created, that he created you and I. Fearfully and wonderfully, it says. He made us in his image. He set us apart for a very specific purpose. God created the world. In the very beginning, he says he did that for a purpose. He created you and I for a purpose. I want you to look at this for just a second in conclusion today. 
when we understand just these few verses we looked at today, and we see that God created all things, you know what we see? Then the way he did it. He spoke creation into being. But if we really just sit and ponder for a second about what God did there when he created this earth, we see a beautiful picture of the nature of God. Ponder that for a second. I can see in the beginning of creation the beautiful image and picture of God's nature, who he is. One of the greatest things that you and I can do is study the Bible and understand the very beginning of the Bible here too is to understand God's creature, God's nature, why he created us. Ponder these things. These are huge too. Don't overlook these things. I mentioned this morning that what can God do with nothing? That's the sermon title. What can God do with nothing? God took nothingness and created a masterpiece. Think about that in your life. As I look around this room, I see God's beautiful masterpieces. He took nothingness and created something beautiful. He took chaos and created order. God specializes in creating great outcomes from nothing beginnings. God knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. I don't want you to ever get over that thought. That God knew about you before you were formed in your mother's womb. That God has a plan for your life. God has set you apart. God has something very special for every one of us. He wants us to understand that, but he wants us to stand on the foundation of truth and firmness. Even when we are lost, don't miss this. Even when we are lost, God loved us. He sees something in you and I when we are dwelling in nothingness. If God truly is who he is, and I believe he is, I know you do too, God has a plan for your life and my life. God has something very special for you and I. There is a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful personal God in heaven that cares about you. As we wrap up this morning, I want you to think about the blessings in your life. The blessings of children, blessing of spouses, blessing of opportunities, blessing of freedoms that we enjoy. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we're doing this morning. Letting our minds open up to the possibilities of God, God, what he actually did. And by then it says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good and perfect acceptable will of God. I'm here to tell you this morning, I believe that every one of us, when we stop and ponder God, we can connect the dots to what I have going on in my life for the great God in heaven. I look at my bride down here. I realize that I have that bride because God put her in my life. I know you feel the same way about your loved ones, your spouses, and your children, that God blesses. God told the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for your future, plans for hope.